And if you're going to stay with us, let's open to the book of Habakkuk. And by the grace of God, we're going to make some distance this morning in Habakkuk chapter 3. This is our second to last lesson in this book. By God's grace, next week we will finish it. And we have a lot, a lot to cover this morning. So I'm going to ask you, please have your Bibles handy, be ready. You might want to, I don't know if you do this, you know, crack the knuckles and stretch your fingers because we're going to do lots of finding and flipping and going here and there in Scripture this morning. We are going to continue to study the prophetical events that are listed here. As I've mentioned a few times already, we, we could spend hours running all the references that go with these verses, right? When you read what we're uh, talking about in Habakkuk 3, you can go all over the Bible, front to back, Genesis to Revelation, and you'll find something somewhere throughout Scripture about these topics. This is the focal point. This is God's big day. Even Jesus, when He was here, He did talk about His death, burial, and resurrection, but He also spent full chapters, multiple chapters, talking about this event. So it's a big deal in the Bible. Now, the problem with these sort of things is it gets very cerebral, right? We're just learning facts about the future, prophetic events. So it's, it's a lot of gaining of knowledge, and sometimes we lack the connection. Okay, now that I know this, what do I do about it, right? The, the practical application. Great, I know that the earth is going to be destroyed. It's going to get bad. How does that affect me tomorrow when I go to work? What do I do about that? So let me ask you this. Let's say you had a trip planned to a foreign country. Let's just pick one. All right, Peru. I've never been there. I don't, maybe you've been there. I've never been there. Now, let's say you turn on the news this evening and you find out that there is a massive storm moving towards Peru. Massive. And it's going to hit Peru the same day you're scheduled to arrive. Furthermore, you hear on the news that they're predicting earthquakes and that there's going to be a civil war. There's tension within the politics of Peru. Now, forgive me, Peru, if any Peruvians are listening. I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to drum up problems. All hypothetical. But let's say you heard all of these bad things. Would you cancel your trip? Probably, right? Unless maybe some of you thrill seekers like, yes, I've been looking for a a little bit of excitement in my life. Okay, most of us would change our plans if we knew that the destination was dangerous. If we knew that, there, that the future was going to get ugly in that place. By knowing that in this world things are going to get ugly, we know who's going to be in charge. We know what he's going to do. We can see the signs of the times. So hopefully this will trigger some alarms to say, wait a minute, let me consider the direction of my life. I don't, we, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. So that's the practical application. When Jesus taught His disciples about the end times, they asked Him, what are the signs of Thy coming and of the end of the world? Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, Luke 17. Whole chapters to this. This was, Jesus gave them all the signs and then He would say this, be ye therefore ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man comes. So that's the practical application. That's what I hope that you do with this knowledge. Now, let's come to verse number 8. The Bible says, Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Remember, Habakkuk has been given this vision. The Lord has shown him what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ. 
Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thy, thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Now, most commentators will put this into the past and say that this is when God parted the Red Sea and brought Israel through. But as I understand, Israel marched through the Red Sea. They didn't have horses and chariots. The Egyptians did, and they got drowned, right? So I, I do not see this as being something in the past. I see this as something in the future where the waters of the earth, specifically the rivers, as we see here, something's going to happen to them. So take your Bible. Hold Habakkuk and get Psalm chapter 107. Psalm 107, and forgive me, I'm going to move quickly. Usually I try to wait until everybody, almost everybody has the verse. I'll try to be as patient as I can, but I do want to get all, uh, through all these verses. Psalm 107 and verse 33, just to give you an example. It says here, He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground. So God can take an, enti not an entire body of water? How massive of an event must it be to take an entire river and make it dry in one event? That's huge. Come to Isaiah. Continue to hold Habakkuk. Get Isaiah. Yesiah. I think you guys say Yesiah, isn't it? Or Yerasiah. I heard <laughs> one kid was trying to remember Isaiah, Jeremiah. He, he made up Yerasiah. <laughs> So if you find that, you let me know. I think that's great. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 and verse 15. Isaiah 11, folks, this chapter is filled with stuff about the second coming. But verse 15 says, And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with His mighty wind shall He shake His hand over the river. I like that. It's it, almost like a anthropomorphizing this. He shakes his hand. This is how he, to make the wind blow like a hurricane, God just shakes his hand like that. And whew, this mighty wind and out goes all the water from the Egyptian sea. <laughs> the Nile, the tongue of it emptied. It says, and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. Right, so as Jesus is coming back, think of it. He's coming back so fast that the heavens get rolled together like a scroll. He's moving. And when He hits the earth, not only the, the wind force, right, that is generated with His coming, but Him landing on the earth, the earthquakes, the water just splashes out of these rivers and seas and so forth and creates dry land. I come back to Habakkuk 3 now. And let's look further. At the end of verse 8, it says, that thou didst ride upon uh, thine horses... And thy chariots of salvation. So God, were you angry when you landed on the earth and the water splashed out? When you waved your hand and the wind blew? I'm going to show you some verses now about a worldwide, let's call it a hurricane or a hypercane that's going to happen. God, were you angry? Yes. Yes, th this is, this is how, how much fury there is involved in this. When he's coming with his horses and chariots of salvation. Now, this I think you're familiar with in Revelation 19. We come back riding on white horses. But God's army is not limited to just people on horses. We also are armed, and we have a, a whole arsenal of weapons that uh, are talked about in Scripture. Let, let's come to Psalm. Well, let's get Joel chapter 2 for the sake of time here. Joel chapter 2. 
just a few pages back. Right after Hosea, if that helps anybody. Joel 2. And if you hit Amos, you went too far. Amos is Joel's neighbor. Joel chapter 2. Let's do a little reading this morning here. Joel 2. It says in verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall, there, uh, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations." A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. So when this crew touches down on the ground, it's very nice and lush before they get there. But after they get there, behind them, it's just burnt. It's destroyed. This is Jesus coming back, and guess what? We're in Joel too. When it says a great people and a strong, that's you and me. We're reading about his army. And he comes back. There's fire that comes from behind. Because as he's coming down, there's fire coming out. And then when it hits the ground, he lands and just carries on. And then everything behind him has been burned. Now verse 4, The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. And as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. It's because of their being burned in the soot and the ash and everything. Verse 7, they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march everyone on his ways and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. So we finally... The body of Christ stops fighting with each other. Isn't that wonderful? Finally. We're, we're finally no longer backstabbing. It's no longer friendly fire. We're going against the Antichrist and his army. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his paths, so or you're doing what you're told. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. Now, how is that possible? You tell me how that's possible. There's only one explanation I know of, and that is we have glorified bodies that cannot be hurt. That's the only explanation I know of. Now, verse 9, they shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. Any of you watch Spider-Man? There you go. You just right up the side of the building. In. You might think that's just my imagination. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Verse 10, the earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. Now, come on, folks. You're going to tell me an earthly army can make the heavens tremble? This has got to be something bigger than just some earthly army. That's us. That's us coming back with Jesus. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for He is strong that executeth His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Here's the question, and who can abide it? 
You don't want to be on the wrong side of that day. You want to know that this is coming and choose the right side. Now come back to Habakkuk chapter 3. So that's the, the horses and chariots. That's us coming back at the second coming. So was the Lord displeased? Was there anger and wrath? Yes, very much. Verse 9, thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes. What are the oaths of the tribes? An oath is a promise, right? It's like a vow. I, I, I swear this is true, that kind of thing. The tribes are the tribes of Israel. So the oaths of the tribes, these are the writings of Scripture. Because every writer of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, right, when this was written, they're all Jewish. You get to the New Testament, the only one in question is maybe Luke was a Gentile. But even there, he, he would have been very familiar with Jewish culture. So the oaths of the tribes, even thy word. So the oaths of the tribes, these are the prophecies and promises that we have in Scripture. The bow was made quite naked according to what God told these Jews would happen. Now, what does he mean by the bow uh, was made quite naked? Well, this is he emptied it. God has a bow and he's emptying that bow. Take your Bible, come to the book of Psalms and get Psalm, or as you say, Psalm chapter 58. Psalm 58 and verse 7. Psalm 58, verse 7. Right, and the Bible says here, Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. I'm just showing you this verse so you see that God, the, the writers in, of Psalms here, they know that God has a bow and he's shooting his arrows. Come back to Psalm 18. Let me remind you of a verse we saw last week. And this will narrow down what, this, what these arrows are. Psalm 18, verse 14. Which, by the way, you can find this also in 2 Samuel 22. But uh, it says here in verse 14, Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, the enemy, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. So you've, you've heard, you know, stories like this where God's throwing down thunderbolts and lightning bolts and that kind of thing. There's an element of truth to that. Now, the way that they have it in the ancient myths is God just does it for fun. You know, he's just throwing down lightning bolts to watch people dance, you know, that kind of thing. And that's not all there is. When God is upset and angry, and guys, please don't think that every time lightning strikes the earth that it is God doing, you know, something, that he's punishing people i got to be careful there because lightning hit my house about, oh, about a year ago. So God help me. Maybe that was the beginning of the second coming. I don't know. But, but it's certainly one thing that God can do. God can use nature as a weapon, as, as, a, as a means of punishing. It's not that every natural disaster is God-ordained, but He certainly can do that. By the way, verse 15, remember this, the channels of waters were seen. The foundations were discovered. You remember that from last week? So the, where the water was, now the water's been knocked out and it's empty. All right, come back to Habakkuk 3 again. Habakkuk chapter 3. And at the end of verse 9, it says, Selah. So take a moment, think about that. Let it all sink in. He, right after he says, God, you're going to do just what you said according to your word. You, you see that in verse 9? Even thy word. 
So according to the O's of the tribes, even that word, Selah, take a moment, think about that. Everything God said He would do, He's going to do it. Now, as I mentioned, there's over a thousand verses that talk about that event. My goodness, let that sink in for a bit. And so far, all of His prophecies have come to pass spot on. Spot on. People were even saying, how can this possibly happen? And yet they keep happening over and over again. Then he says at the end of verse 9, Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. Now wait a minute, you just said that you dried up the rivers. Verse 8. Now it says you cleave the earth with rivers. He makes new ones. I mentioned last week the map is going to change. The, The dry land is going to get moved around. Mountains fall. Islands crumble into the sea. When, when a land cracks open, this, this provides a new way for the water to, to flow, and now you have a new river. I showed you a verse just now from Psalm 107. Maybe some of you are making notes. Uh, we read verse 33. You guys remember that? Psalm 107, 33, it says, He turns the rivers into a wilderness. Let me read for you Psalm 107, verse 35. It says, He turns the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. It's the exact opposite. So in verse 33, the water goes dry. Verse 35, the dry becomes water. So God does both at one time because when He slams down on the earth, everything gets shaken up. All right, now verse 10. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. Again, this is anthropomorphic. What we mean by that is you take an inanimate object like a mountain And you speak of it as if it has human capabilities. So we talk about the wind waving its hand. Well, the wind doesn't have a hand, right? The mountains are not capable of trembling like like us when we get get scared. But when when there's an earthquake happening, it looks as if the mountains are scared. Now, they are moving, right? But they're not scared. That's anthropomorphizing. But nonetheless, it, it draws a wonderful picture in our minds. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. Would to God that when we felt the presence of the Lord, we also trembled. But the mountains get it. Nature gets it. Nature knows who's in charge. When, when, when nature hears the master say, peace be still, nature shuts up and calms down. <laughs> right? They know. They know. Jesus said, you know, that everybody, he was coming to Jerusalem and everybody's excited and Hosanna to the son of David and the Pharisees said, hey, tell your disciples to quiet down. Tell them to knock it off. Man, they're getting too excited. He said, if I told them to, then the rocks would cry out. Nature knows. <laughs> Na- nature knows. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. Ma- massive tsunamis, right? These massive tidal waves hitting the land. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. Again, anthropomorphizing. The water doesn't have hands, but he's, he's using this as an illustration, as if the water lifts up its hands, these massive waves, and now it's just going to clap together. Or you can think of it like this. It slaps its hand down. And if you've ever seen a tidal wave, a massive one, crash onto the shore, it looks like the water is slapping the ground. And if you've ever been in a massive storm, I think many sailors, you know, those guys that spend months and months on the water, they can attest to this. The deep utters, uh, utters his voice. It sounds like a deep guttural roar. If you've never heard it with your own ears, maybe in a movie, you know, if you've seen The Perfect Storm or something, it, it's, it's eerie. It's very spooky. But in the time of the second coming, 
this is what you're going to have. Not just hurricanes, but what they call hypercanes. Massive, massive. It's like a hurricane that drank a Red Bull and then drank another Red Bull. It's just huge. And they're happening all over the earth, exactly as it was in the days of Noah. Because in the days of Noah, the heavens were opened up, right? The Bible says the windows of heaven were opened, but the face of the deep is also broken up. These are underwater earthquakes and volcanoes erupting under the, under the water, in the bottom of the ocean, which happens. But when you have that happening all over the earth, at the same time, the waters of the ocean heat up. And when the waters of the ocean heat up and you have cool air on top, that hot and that cold creates not just a, a vortex for a hurricane, but it gets so big because it's happening everywhere, it creates hypercanes. So come to Jeremiah chapter 25. Continue holding Habakkuk. Jeremiah 25. And let's get verse 30. Jeremiah 25 and verse 30. He says here, Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high. Isn't that something? They, they say, Hide us from the face of the Lamb. Have you ever heard a lamb roar? <laughs> Not much of a roar. But this lamb... He doubles as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So, oh yes, he, he, he is a lamb. But you get on the wrong side of him and you're going to hear this roar. The Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes. Please keep that in the back of your mind, this treading of the grapes. Because that is precisely what he will do. Against, look at this, all the inhabitants of the earth, not just those in Israel, everywhere. Verse 31, a noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation. Watch this next thing. And a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coasts, plural, of the earth. Do you see that? This great whirlwind. I'm going to say that's not just a hurricane, but that hypercane type idea. Verse 33, And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered, nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground." As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Precisely. All right, come back to Habakkuk now. Habakkuk. So I hope you're starting to see how Psalms, Habakkuk, Joel, uh, Daniel, Isaiah, how all these books are connected with this theme. Verse 11, Habakkuk 3 and 11. Here's one for you. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Now, the way this is worded, when it says the sun and moon stood still, then it says at the light of thine arrows they went. Does it mean the sun and the moon went as the arrows went? Or is the they maybe his army? 
that as the lightning is coming down, we also are coming down at the glittering spear. What does that say? At the shining of thy glittering spear. So Jesus holds forth the spear and the, the sharp two-edged swords coming out of his mouth and the lightning's crashing down and he holds that sword up and says, charge! And when he says charge, down we come with the light of those arrows accompanying us. Something like that. Now, verse 11, does this sound familiar to anybody? Can you remember a time in the Bible where this has happened? You remember this in Joshua? Chapter 10, verse 12, Joshua's marching into the land of Canaan and he needs a little extra time. Don't you wish this was possible all the time, right? Haven't you ever had a day where you need an extra hour or two? Say, God, please just, just let the sun and moon, just hit the pause button for a couple hours. I can get this project done, get my chores done, whatever it is. Let my baby take an extra long nap, <laughs> you know, something like that. Let the sun and the moon stand still. Here's the fascinating thing about the Bible. You've heard me say it so many times. When you're reading the Old Testament, you're reading tomorrow's newspaper. The thing that has been is the thing that shall be. So yes, it did happen historically, and therefore many commentators read this and go, well, that's talking about Joshua and the book of you know, Joshua chapter 10. Yes, I agree that it happened in Joshua's day, but that was like the preview. That was to show you that it can happen. It's going to happen again. Now, I, I tried to look this up. You know, scientifically, I don't think the sun and the moon stand still, right? The earth is rotating, which makes it look as if the sun and the moon are racing across the sky, which is perfectly fine then to say. I mean, he's describing the sun and the moon moving. Even to this day, we do this all the time. When did the sun come up this morning? Anybody know? Anybody know? What time did the sun come up? You say six o'clock, six-ish, right? Anybody know what time the sun's going to go down? You can look on your apps, right? If you look on the Apple weather app, it'll tell you the sunrise and sunset. But that's not scientific. The sun doesn't rise and the sun doesn't set. Oh, non-scientific people. <laughs> we, we use that terminology because from our perspective, from human observation, it looks like the sun's coming up and going down. In actual fact, we all know this, the earth is spinning. Now, God knows I'm not a geophysicist, I'm not a scientist, so I looked up on Caltech's website about the earth spinning. Why does the earth spin? Now, maybe some of you could answer this much better than I could. This is what I found on their website. I'm quoting, Caltech says, the earth spins because there are no forces acting to stop it. It spins because it's spinning. <laughs> That's what that just said. <laughs> it spins because it's spinning. Now, of course, it's it's theory as to what made it spin the way that it does, perfectly on its axis at just the right tilt. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about the fine-tuning, then that's a whole other conversation. But it's, it's spinning because there are no forces acting to stop it until what if the creator thereof comes and puts his foot down and says, enough! Can you imagine if you put your foot down, right? and the earth comes to a halt, what does that do to the waters of the earth? Slosh. Out it goes. And just for, and I'm not saying it stops it from rotating forever, but just for a moment, forever, how long that is, the sun and the moon, you go, uh-oh. <laughs> it's not moving. It could be something like that. Maybe, maybe. Him, Jesus coming back is obviously going to have some physical ramifications and consequences you know, on nature. Maybe it's that. Or maybe God simply says, I want a few more hours of daylight to get done what I'm doing. I, maybe it's just that. 
But I think what happened in the past is going to happen again. Now, verse 12, thou didst march through the land. I'm back in Habakkuk. Maybe we were already there. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Right? He's marching through the land. He's, he's stomping. Left, 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 right, left. That kind of thing. Wham, wham, one after another. That's, now, he's threshing the heathen as he goes. You thresh with a sickle, right? Now, if, if you've read Revelation chapter 14, you know what it says? The angel turns to one of the other angels that's sitting on the cloud and says, thrust in thy sickle and start threshing. And at the end of Revelation 14, matter of fact, hold this and just take a quick peek at it. You'll see what he does right after that. You'll see this marching through the land. I showed you a verse just a minute ago about treading the winepress, treading the grapes. Revelation 14, verse 19. Revelation 14, 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. Now forgive me, just let me do the math quickly for you. This is approximately the distance between Poch and Pretoria, just a little past that. That's how, that's how long the area is, what we call the Valley of Megiddo. If you look at the map in Israel, it goes from up north where Megiddo is all the way down to Jerusalem or Jericho, right in that area. So imagine from Poch to Pretoria, blood rising up about this high. What is that, about almost two meters, meter and a half to the horse bridle. There's a valley that holds it there, and it goes that long. This is a, when, he, when it says he marches through the land, he's stomping, Jesus stomping on the enemy. Come to Joel chapter 3. Let me give you the more detailed account. Now, this is where we need a Selah moment. You need to take a moment and process this information more than just letting it go into your ears. Meditate on this for a moment. Picture this in your mind. Picture this in your mind. This is a dreadful, dreadful day. You have Joel, right? You have Joel chapter 3? All right. So you have Habakkuk in one hand, Joel in the other hand. In your third hand, get Isaiah chapter 63. We got to start in Isaiah. Forgive me. We'll come to Joel just now. Isaiah 63 is a fascinating comment on this. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Every time I read Isaiah 63, I think of CNN and Fox News and BBC. Every time. It sounds like a news reporter is carrying on an interview. You'll see the back and forth. Isaiah 63, verse 1. The reporter asks, He puts the microphone, you know, and he's holding it real close. He says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in his greatness, in his strength. And then he puts the microphone over to, in this case, Jesus. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. (laughs) And then he brings the microphone back. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? And then he puts the microphone back over to Jesus, verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. 
For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury, it upheld me. And I will tra- Can you see the reporter going, <laughs> this is getting serious. I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. They're not going to be drunk with wine and beer anymore. Throw the whiskey out. Now you're going to be filled with God's fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. And it just goes on. The interview, Jesus just takes it over. This isn't a drop the mic moment. This is a hold the mic right where it's at moment. Now the question is, who's this? You came up from Edom and from Bozrah. We just don't have time. But that is where Israel hides for three and a half years in the tribulation. They hide down there in Bozrah. And after those three and a half years, that's Jesus, I, I taught you last time, they come from Sinai and then Mount Piran, uh, Paran, and that's, he swings right down through Edom and Bozrah, picks up this remnant of Israel and marches them up into the land. We're, fly, we're on those flying horses. And then he's got his ground soldiers as well. Here they come marching in with him. And when he says, now I'm, guys, I earned the right to judge these people. Because I came to this earth and lived sinless. And that's why he says no one was there to help me. Because there's no other sinless people able to carry out this sort of vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So everybody else stand back. I'm going to trample the enemy. And that's when Jesus dismounts his horse and begins to just march through the land. All right, now get Joel. We got Joel chapter 3. And let's get verse 9. Oh, man. Lord, we can't just go there. We've got to get more than verse 9. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Joel 3, verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. <clears throat> Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. That, now, think about what you're reading. Prepare war. Not prepare peace. Prepare war. Verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. So all you guys that are tired and, you know, uh, been going at the, been in battles here. Now's not the time to complain and make excuses for not being ready. I'm coming. And he's telling the enemy, go on, get up. Get up out of your bed. And whatever farming equipment you have, turn it into weapons. You're going to need it. Now, there's a verse in Isaiah that is exactly the opposite of this. It says, beat your swords into plowshares. This is the other way around. Now, you better rightly divide your Bible or else you've got a contradiction. How can you have one verse say, take the swords into plowshares, and this one plowshares into swords? Because as Jesus is coming down, he says, prepare for war. After the war's over, he says, take those weapons, turn them into farming equipment. Rightly divide. Put everything in its proper place. Verse 11, assemble yourselves. Everybody get together. And come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thine, uh, thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. So the heathen are being gathered into one specific spot. Revelation 14, put your sickle in and get that vine of the earth and gather it into the winepress, which is the valley of Megiddo. Now it has other names, you'll see it now. And this is where the Lord is going to come down with His mighty ones. Verse 12, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of Megiddo, also known as the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, Revelation 14, for the harvest is ripe. Right? People of the earth are ready for this judgment. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So he says, now they've gone too far. They have sinned a sin unto death, and I say not that you should pray for it. Now it's a time for judgment. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. When all the heathen gather into that valley of Jehoshaphat or Megiddo, he says, all right, this is it. This is your last chance to back out. You got one more chance to repent. Which, by the way, read Revelation 14, verse 7. This is where the everlasting gospel gets preached. The angel flies all throughout the earth and says, Fear God and give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come. They get one last chance to back out. And if they don't back out, there is no getting out. Verse 15, The sun of the moon shall be, shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And uh, it says, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Are you seeing the connection? What we've read now in Joel, you've seen in Habakkuk, we've seen it in Psalms, you saw it in Isaiah, it's in Jeremiah, it's all of these prophets are talking about the same thing. All right, let's come back to Habakkuk now. Almost there. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 13. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people. We just saw the verse. We just read it in Joel. God's coming to punish the heathen, but he will be the hope of his people. So Israel's been hiding. They've been persecuted by the Antichrist for three and a half years, but now they finally find somebody to save them. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for the salvation of or even for salvation with thine anointed. That's you and I. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. Selah. So they say you, 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 you hit him, you cut the head off of the serpent. How many of you remember the very first prophecy in the Bible? Genesis 3.15. God gave that prophecy. Remember that? He, he told the serpent... You're going to bruise his heel. Remember that? You're going to bruise his heel, but, but he, the seed of the woman, which is a, a prophecy about Christ, he's going to bruise your head. So when Jesus stomps, bam, yes, it leaves a mark on Jesus' heel. Just like when he died for our sins, it left a mark. The mark stayed, didn't it? The wounds in his hands and his feet and his side didn't go anywhere. You go up to heaven, you can see him today. Revelation 5 tells us you can see the lamb as if he was slain. You see the marks. And when Jesus comes the second time, stomp. Yes, there's a bruise. He stomps that hard. Who does he stomp on? Well, the enemy. But at the head, the head of those heathen is the Antichrist. Now, all you have to do, you get Revelation chapter 19, and you can see the beast, the Antichrist. He's out there with those people. Just like Pharaoh went into the Red Sea in front of his army and got drowned. The head is going to be destroyed, the head of the, of the house of the wicked, by discovering the foundation under the neck. Now, this is kind of deep. Let me just give this to you for food for thought. Next time you read through your Bible, look for this. Look for the types of Antichrist in the Bible. Pharaoh, Goliath, Sisera, Saul, Haman, Judas. 
There's 18 types. Look for them. You know how they die? Not all of them are the same. Goliath, how'd he die? Bam! Right there, stone to the forehead. And then what David do? He took Goliath's sword, cut his head off. Sisera. Remember Sisera, Judges chapter 4? Jael gives him a place in the tent. Says, I'll bring you some milk. And she's, he asked for water. She brought him milk. But Sisera is trying to destroy the Jews. Jael comes with a tent peg, puts it on his temple. Wham, right there in the head. Gets him in the head. Saul. Now he dies. An arrow hits him. You know what the enemy does? They take his body, cut the head off. Haman, one of the greatest pictures of the Antichrist in the Bible. He sets up a gallows to hang Mordecai. But he reaps what he sows. He ends up hanging. Foundation under the neck right here. And he dies. Judas, how'd he die? He went out and hung himself. Right there. up the ne- That's what it says, right? Discovering the foundation under the neck. It's interesting how these types of the Antichrist keep getting something to do with their head. Now, I'm just giving you a handful. There's a lot more than that in Scripture. Verse 14 Thou didst strike through the uh, thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. So thou didst strike through with his staves. It looks as if, just like David used the enemy's weapon, he took Goliath's sword to cut the head off. It looks like we also take the enemy's weapon to use against him. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Describing the wicked for a minute here. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Revelation 17, verse 11, 12, all the way down to 14. It talks about the Antichrist gathering together all the armies of the earth, saying, let's go against the Lamb, as if they have a chance. And they all get excited, because this is what they see in Hollywood movies. There's space invaders coming. They're coming from outer space. Thanos is coming with his army. Now let's all converge. Avengers, assemble. And they all get into one spot. All right, now we're ready to fight. I got Thor's hammer. Nothing can stop us now. <laughs> For those, I, I can see some of you haven't watched the movie, but anyway. <laughs> you know what happens in all those movies? The, the humans win. The space invaders always lose. Making people on earth think, yeah, we got a chance. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. When the space invaders come, by the way, we're the space invaders. <laughs> right? We're coming back from what they call outer space. They think they have a chance, so they're going to gather as a whirlwind. They're coming from the north, south, east, and west, and they're converging in one place to fight what they think is the enemy. Now look at the end of verse 14. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. What have they been doing for the last three and a half years before this battle? They've been wiping out the poor, but doing it clandestine, covertly. How did they do it? Well, they they made it a government policy. They said they were trying to help the general population. Listen, take the mark. Take the name, take the number, or take the mark. And if you do, then we will allow you to buy and sell and function in society. But if you don't take the mark, you can't buy or sell. You can't keep your job. We're going to make this vaccine mark mandatory. And if you don't comply, you're going to lose your job. 
Do you see how the world's shaping up for this type of an idea? So you know the people in the, in the tribulation that are poor are the ones that don't take the mark. And they go home and they grab a few taters, you know, and a, a little bit of biltong, and, and they have a nice humble meal. And then in the middle of the night, somebody comes at the door, crashes down the door, takes mom, takes dad, and whoom, they're gone secretly. Why? Because the government's been watching and they know who took the mark and who didn't. And they just start, people start disappearing from their homes left and right. We just don't have time to show you biblically all the prophecies that go with that. But that's devouring the poor secretly. That's how it would look in the future. Hey, we're not there yet, guys. Please do not think that the vaccine is the mark, okay? I don't think the vaccine is the mark. If you have the vaccine, help yourself. I, that is not a spiritual problem. That's a political thing. That's outside of our lesson today. But you can see how the world's getting there and how they're going to say, listen, we're just trying to organize our efforts as a government. Play along. Be part of us. Unite with us. And if you don't, then out you go. Verse 15, thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. Now again, people say, well, this is the Red Sea, you know, and God's marching through the Red Sea with his horses. But if you go back and read the story in Exodus, the Israelites didn't have horses. This, this can't be something in the past. This has to be something in the future. When God comes back, the waters are parting. Yes, because when he hits, hits the earth, the waters are moving everywhere. And then he's stepping through, walking through these great deeps and heaps of water. Now, you'll also find in Scripture that there's not only water on the earth, but there's water above us as well. Now, this, is not, this doesn't take much research, actually. Genesis 1 tells us this. Psalm 148 tells us this. Isaiah 27 tells us this. Yes, there are the seas down here on the earth, but there's also a great deep or a sea above our head. It's actually, there's three heavens in the Bible. The, sec, the first heaven is where the clouds are. The second heaven is the sun, moon, and stars. Above that, there's a massive body of water, which NASA found, by the way. They found it. And then beyond that, you get the third heaven where God's throne and His, uh, His person is manifested there. So it could be that what we're reading here, when Jesus comes back with His horses, that the great waters that get part, that's the waters up there. It might be that. Verse 16 is where we'll end up today. When I, heard my, when I heard, he says, my belly trembled. Now, if you took time to really play this out in your mind, you'd probably be a bit worried too. Especially this morning, sir, ma'am, if you're not saved, that should cause a little bit of trembling. Because we're not far off from all of this happening. When I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, because God was explaining it to him rottenness entered into my bones. He couldn't hold himself up. He's, he's starting to, he can feel himself just crumpling under the weight of this. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Habakkuk took it seriously and said, okay, when this day happened, the day of trouble, when this starts happening, I don't want to be on the wrong side. I want to have rest. I want to have peace. I want to have security. So this fear of God that he had was a healthy thing, and it caused him to take action. Say, God, just tell me what I have to do so that I'm not on the wrong side of history here. What do I do about this? Great advice. I trembled that I might rest. Then he says at the end, 
when he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. And, and he, he's rounding out the vision. I know what he's going to do. He's coming with his army. And nobody's going to be able to withstand him. So God, I, I believe you. I believe you're going to do it. Now tell me what to do. This goes back to his request in verse 2. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. And in the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, you've explained to me how this is going to go down. What do I have to do to find mercy? Wake us up as a nation. Wake us up as a people, as a church. Help us to take these things seriously. The time is short. Jesus is coming soon. Now what, Lord, would you have us to do about that? How do we prepare for that day? Let's all stand, if you would. Thank you for a few extra minutes. I very much needed to finish that passage. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, help us this morning to take seriously what we've studied. And I know, Lord, at this point, it's just a a lot of knowledge about the future. Please let it translate into practical action. You said knowing that the time is high for us to wake out of sleep. Our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Lord, help us. We know it's getting close. Help us to be busy about your business. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a break. You guys enjoy the...